Hey, travelers. Just stopping by to let you know that this episode that you are about to listen to is one of our older ones, and we were going through some growing pains at this time. But if you would like to start from where we consider our newest era of quality, I would go ahead and jump to episode 54, The American Bigfoot. Either way, enjoy, travelers. So here goes the awkwardness that is starting a podcast episode. No, it is awkward to start out, but this is what episode three. Eventually, we're gonna get it down, no problem. It just it feels weird to constantly open up by saying, "Hey, everybody," because I feel like we do that a lot. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I fully agree. So, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I kind of wanted to bring everybody in the loop today on what's going on with the podcast. I have a lot of updates and. I will say that I am extremely happy with the way that everything is going so far. The other day, I woke up and I had some of the best news in the world. First thing I do every morning is I pick up my phone and I go straight to Anchor and I find out how many plays we have or how many plays did we have the day before because it updates every 24 hours. I woke up and I saw that we had 103 plays, meaning that we passed our first milestone of 100 plays. Thank you, everybody. That is awesome. I know 100 seems like not a lot, but to somebody who's put in all this work and effort and wasn't 100% sure this was even going to get off the ground, 100 plays means the world to me. Another thing I'd like to say is thank you to those that took the time to follow and like the Facebook page. For those that are listening, new listeners, you can go on to facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole and check out the pictures that we apply to all of our links for episodes. Like, for example, Mike was really nice and he was able to send us a bunch of pictures of the property that his encounter with what he thought was a Rougarou took place. Please go on, take a look. We will post any media to the Facebook page so that you can follow along. And I'd also like to add a very special thank you to the select few that took the time to share that Facebook page. It really means a lot. I know who you are. Thank you very much for that. No, it definitely means a lot to the both of us. It's good to see that this project that we thought about for a while worked really hard to get up off the ground, that people are enjoying it. That makes all the difference to us. Just those few hundred uh, plays for us, it's awesome just to see that. And hopefully we'll be able to keep putting out things that people enjoy and our quality and our interviews will get better. I want to thank uh, the people that helped us out to this point of listening to our episodes and then hitting us back and giving us that valuable feedback, especially for the interview that we did with Mike since it was our very first one. We really didn't know what we were doing. and The sound quality was pretty bad, but being able to take that advice that people threw out as far as how the interview itself went, we will absolutely apply that to future interviews and it will only help us to be better and to continually push out things that people will also enjoy. As far as the audio for the last thing, we want to apologize for that. So right now, Jeremy and I are Skyping each other, and we're recording ourselves off of Audacity. For that interview with Mike, we were recording ourselves off of Discord. Jeremy's Wi-Fi isn't the best, so I don't think his computer could handle the program, so it was giving us that weird record-playing scratching sound. But everything's fixed right now, 
it should be good to go. I don't see us having any more audio problems in the future like that one. I take full responsibility for that, everyone. I'm sorry. We'll do our best to make sure that doesn't happen again. In our first episode, we talked about what the direction was for our podcasts. Anything strange, abnormal. We were talking about it a little bit earlier, and we want to branch into other portions of the podcast as far as the categories for the podcast. So we have the strange, the abnormal, paranormal, scientific, really whatever comes up. Right now, this episode, we're going to call a black hole episode. It's basically just me and Jeremy talking together. We want to have our interview portion be called Infinite Interviews, and then we're going to have Rabbit Tales. People will submit to us their stories, and say we get enough stories on the same topic, then we read them off and just allow you guys to enjoy one of us reading some short stories or some experiences. So those are the three categories we have. As far as interviews that we have coming up, I think that it'd be nice for us to let everyone listening kind of know what can be expected for that. What do you think about that, Jeremy? I like it. In the near future, we're going to have someone on that's going to come in and talk to us about empathetic abilities. I, for one, don't really know too much about it, but we have had a pre-interview screening with her already, and she seems to be extremely knowledgeable about the topic, and it is definitely a topic that belongs on Infinite Rabbit Hole, and I really do look forward to having her on. Another one that I have kind of sitting on the back burner right now is somebody who has a constant issue with sleep paralysis. A lot of people may have had a sleep paralysis episode, including myself. I had one where I actually saw a black figure in the room with me. But this person suffers from sleep paralysis constantly being in his life. And I had a quick chat with him one-on-one in person, of course, you know, six feet away because social distancing. But I feel like he can be on this episode too. We set up a pre-interview screening with him in the next few days, actually. And hopefully we can get him on to tell his story. What do you have on the back burner, Jake? So I have a person that I know who he and a buddy were out hunting and possibly had a Wendigo or a shapeshifter experience. His father also had a Wendigo experience. And then his family members had an experience where they saw a blue orb come out of the ground and punch a hole through the clouds just right next to him. I don't know if these are going to be interviews or stories, but either way, it'd be very nice to have them on. The two things that Jeremy put out, those ones, just the bread and butter of this podcast. Just the strange and the abnormal. That sounds really cool. Also, a paranormal experience, a possible ghost encounter inside of a a home. Hopefully, we'll be able to have these people on. Just to reiterate, we want your stories submitted to us in writing. We want you to hit us up for interviews. We would love to get stories like these out there. Whatever is submitted to us, we'll take anything. But on to the real topic of tonight. We wanted to have an opinion piece. So Jeremy, here's tonight's opinion piece. Do we believe in Bigfoot? Oh, man. And why? I love this topic. So, let's be real, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yowie, Skunk Ape, there's so much in this topic. We're not going to get all up into all the facts of everything, this is just 
straight ground zero, do we believe in Bigfoot? I would actually really like to have the chance to go first today. Is that cool with you? Yeah, for sure, man. Go for it. Cool. Uh, In the very first episode, the one where we were introducing ourselves, I did say that I had a Bigfoot story. Unfortunately, I'm going to hold that off for just a little bit longer. We'll get to it in this episode. I think this is the perfect episode to get to it. But I want to talk about why I believe in Bigfoot. To me, if you look at the just the vast amount of people that have reported incidents every year. Actually, let me stop right there. Do me a favor. If you're listening to this right now, go to a website. It's called BFRO.net. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization.net. On there, you'll see that there's a giant map of the United States. You can click on your state. It'll bring you up to a list of counties in that state. Go to your county. Go to a county that you used to live in. Go to a county that you visited. Look at that county. Any recorded Bigfoot sightings in that county will be there. Take a look at it. I have learned so much from this website about the places that I used to live and how active they were with Bigfoot. It's insane. I'm telling you, look at it. It's going to change your perspective on the topic of Bigfoot, knowing that there are people that have spotted this creature very close to you. But I digress. Today, when I was doing some research for this episode, I went on to this website, v101.9.com. On July 20th, they posted an article with a very awesome image on it. And this image was the image of the United States. Each state had a number on it, representing the amount of Bigfoot sightings reported to the BFRO from the beginning of this year. So from January 1st to when this article was posted on July 20th, if you take all of the totals from all the states, add them all together, you get 5,298 sightings reported this year alone. Now that's a little over half a year. Let's round it up to a nice, beautiful number. Let's say by the end of the year, you get 10,000 reports. That's 10,000 reports of Bigfoot, a mythological creature that's supposed to not exist. Why are there 10,000 reports every year to the BFRO? And that's just one source. That's not talking about other sources. That's not talking about 911 calls. That's not talking about phone calls into the newspaper or the local news station, which happens all the time. You go on to Google and you just search Bigfoot in the news. Every day there's a new article that pops up about somebody saw Bigfoot somewhere. These are just reported sightings. There are plenty of sightings every day that people don't report. Why don't they report it? Well, because a lot of people are worried about being ridiculed, or they just don't want the attention. 10,000 reported sightings in the BFRO a year, you know, here in the United States. That's a lot of sightings. Another thing I'd like to point out, too, is that's just in the United States. That's not Canada. That's not Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, where there are stories of their own upright hairy hominids. You know, that just pulls right into what I believe about them. For me, Bigfoot existence is plausible. I'm looking at a website right now called nativelanguages.org, and there's 20 tribes in front of me, 20 Native American tribes in the United States, Canada, and they all had their own name for the Bigfoot. They had their own description. They called it the Big Older Brother, the Big Hairy Man. And I'm just looking at this, and I'm thinking... This is amazing because not only, yes, do we have sightings from today where people are taking pictures and there's videos and who knows really how many of those are hoaxes and how many aren't. But all of those sightings can't be crap. There has to be a few sightings that aren't mistaken identity. They aren't made up. They aren't hoaxes. They're real sightings. And then you can go back and say, hey, let's look at Bigfoot and Native American lore 
And look at all these tribes right here that had cave paintings showing these giant men. And look, they all talked about them. These people were separated across all the United States, and they all had their own experiences. Isn't that wild? So for me, the existence of Bigfoot is plausible. It really ties into with me that say Bigfoot's in the realm of legend and myth. What other animals do we know of that were in the realm of legend and myth? Prior to the actual discovery of the mountain gorilla, people talked about being attacked by them, that we were attacked by giant hairy men, and people thought they were insane. They were myths, they were legends, until they were actually discovered. And people said, wow, these people aren't crazy. They are being attacked by these things. They look like giant hairy men. We now know them as mountain gorillas. Why couldn't that be Bigfoot? It could be. Right? And so when I'm thinking about the plausibility of Bigfoot existing, I really want to see one. And that goes into our last episode where I'm talking about my wife and I want to go camping and set up some game trail cameras. Because if these things are as intelligent as people say, that they actively avoid people, but that they watch people, maybe that's true. What's to say that by setting up a camera around a campsite while we're being monitored for a week, we might not be able to, to see one? That, to me, would be an amazing experience. And even if you don't get one, at least you had a good time out in the woods. Oh, for sure. Any time out in the woods for my wife and I is, is nice. We like to go camping. We like to go fishing. So it'd be a nice time. It'd be a nice experience. But I would really like to see one. For me, I think I'm just going to be stuck in that limbo zone of maybe it's real, maybe it's not, until one is recovered. Now, I'm not saying that I want somebody to shoot one. And I'm not saying that I want to see one locked up in a cage somewhere. But I am saying that if someone accidentally creams one with a car or an actual, <laughs> I don't even know how this would be possible because I'm looking at these and thinking, well, if they are real, then they must have a very small population, almost to be considered endangered species. So what would be the ramifications of actively hunting one? There's definitely an extremely small population because think about it, okay? These creatures, these animals are endangered. That's why we're not seeing them every day. And you're not going to just walk into one when you're walking down your street every day or going out to your curbside to go get your mail. Let me run something by you here real quick. I'm just going to use West Virginia as an example. West Virginia has the most Bigfoot sightings per capita on the East Coast. Okay, it's nice and close to where I'm at now. But let's just say that in the state of West Virginia that there is 200 Bigfoot left in existence. The population is 200. They're all varying ages from infant to the elderly, and there's going to be a rotational period of birth and death. So you have to think that this year, right now, 2020, that there would be, I don't know, what do you say, 8 to 15 that die, roughly, sure. right? So let's say 8 to 15 of those 200 die. Now take the entire square mileage of the state of West Virginia and now go find one of those. It's going to be extremely hard. They're going to be in the middle of the woods. Not to mention, primates are known for noticing when one of their own die. They do something with the body a lot of times. They may not bury it like we do, but some of them eat their own. Some of them will drag them off and put them into water. Some of them will cover them up with brush. The moral of the story is, is that these things aren't going to be easy to find. You also have to think about the elderly ones, the ones that are dying from old age. What does an animal do when it's old and it's sick? Does it go out into the middle of the field and croak right there? No. It hides. 
It goes into this conservative lifestyle where it takes its last days and its last breath in a singular lifestyle. So go out into the wilderness of West Virginia, find one of these 8 to 15 dead Bigfoot that are either being hidden or they hid themselves before they died. I don't think you're going to do it. I think that the whole argument for why we haven't found a dead Bigfoot, it's a bit ignorant, honestly. I, I don't think that that's a good argument. I don't think people are actually thinking about it. I agree with you, Jeremy. I was watching a documentary, and there was a scientist that was talking about when people say, if Bigfoot is real, why can't we find a dead one? And he said, think about this. There's approximately 500,000 black bear in North America. United States, Canada, that whole area. If you live in an area where there's black bear, you can often see black bear. You can see them walking around, they're getting into trash cans, they're crossing the street, they're being nuisances, they're out in the wilderness, whatever, right? When's the last time you saw a dead black bear? Maybe it's happened. But the problem is, when things die out in the woods, nature has an amazing way of consuming that dead body. Predators rip that thing apart. Cougars will drag its limbs out into the brush. Coyotes, wolves, foxes, mice, everything. Birds, microorganisms, beetles, everything works its hardest to decompose that body as quickly as possible and to get all the nutrients out of it. And so what do you have left? Scattered bones all over the place. Now take that population of 500,000 black bear and lower that down to 5,000. Because that's what Bigfoot researchers would tell you is probably the population of Sasquatches in North America. So when you were saying, say, 200 in West Virginia, that's probably really plausible. But I'm still in this area of, I really want to see one. And until I see one, it's going to be plausible for me. How long does it take for a dead body to decompose in the woods? I'm looking at it right now. It says that... In order to get the body down to just the bones, it can happen in as quick as one week. And in the most driest, coolest habitats, it can be up to a month. So not only do you have to go and find something that's going to be extremely hard to find, but now you have a time frame to find it. I don't know. I think it's hard. I'd love to stumble upon one. I think it would be awesome and terrifying at the same time i think i'd need another change of pants but i'm gonna do my best to find one i think it'd be a super cool experience but until i see one for myself actually see one not a picture not a video i can watch all the videos out there see all the pictures out there but until i actually see one i don't know for sure if it's somebody dressed up in a suit somebody's pulling my leg somebody's playing a prank even if I saw one in real life, say like last year I went deer hunting for the first time. If I saw one out in the woods while I was hunting, I can't even tell you that I would be willing to take that shot for science. Because who knows? Who knows if that's just an idiot out there in a Bigfoot suit trying to scare people. And I'm about to murder him and have no idea. Or maybe it's an actual Sasquatch and apes roll around in packs or groups and four of them come out of the woods and rip me apart. These nine-foot great apes. So either way, I'd like to see one. And I'm hoping that one can be 
observed by science enough for us to say, yes, this is a real animal. That would be amazing, going from myth and legend into reality. But that's really what cryptozoology is. Now, Jeremy, right before we got started, you said that you had an experience that you wanted to share. Why don't you go ahead and tell us that experience? I did. Now, before I get into it, I just want to let everybody know that there is some information that I'm going to omit. I'm not going to tell you exactly where it was, and I'm not going to tell you who was with me or anybody else that's in this story. I'm going to leave this story completely through my eyes and my eyes only because I do not want to tie anybody else into this. Just know that the whole story is not here, but I have found a way to be able to tell it in a way that I can get everything out. The story took place in New England. I'm not going to tell you what state, but it took place in New England. I was roughly 12 years old, give or take a year, and I had just gotten a new scope from my pellet gun. Now, just like any red-blooded American boy, I wanted to go out there and put my bead on something. So I took a walk in the woods and came out to this field that we usually used to play baseball, kickball, football, all the stuff the kids used to play. And it was well before it got mowed down for the year. Usually, if we went to this field and the grass was still tall, we would be able to throw rocks or sticks into the field and get a plethora of different kinds of birds that would fly up into the air. I wanted to try out my new scope, so I went down there and I was getting ready to throw a rock into the field, see what I can get to come up, and I noticed that there was a deer about 75 yards away from me. So me, being a boy, thought that, that would be a great thing to aim at, and that's what I did. I raised my scope up to my eye, and I put the deer in the crosshairs, and then it was gone. I pulled my gun down to look to see where the deer had gone, and I saw, just to the right of where the deer was standing, a tall, hairy man running into the, the tree line with the deer over its shoulder. The deer was making a sort of sound. It was not a very nice sound. It was, it was screaming. Uh, yeah, it was, it was screaming in a way that a deer would do. I'll try to attach the sound that I heard to the, the post on Facebook when we go live with this episode. You know, I'll find it on YouTube or something for you guys to be able to enjoy as well. As this deer was yelling on the shoulder of this creature, this creature reached back with the same arm that the deer was on, grabbed this thing by the head, and slammed the deer's head into a tree trunk. I don't know if it killed it, but it sure wasn't screaming anymore. That's pretty much my story. I don't have much else. I was young, 12 years old. I'm 32 now, so that was at least 20 years ago. I remember being scared out of my mind, running back up to the house, and I can't really put out too much more than that. But that's my story. I saw something that day that scared the living crap out of me. Jeez, it's rough. Man, you ever, you ever like... You ever see something like a car accident or something and, you know, when you talk about it, it just gives you chills and you got my hair sticking up and everything and it just. Yeah. Yeah. We've both seen something like that. Still bothers me. Like I almost feel bad not being able to put out all the information so that it's more believable. But man, just having that image in my head again just gives me the chills. Anyways. A couple years before that incident, 
I was on the same property and I was sleeping in the basement next to a gigantic window. I woke up and the TV was off. So, you know, I was probably nine, eight or nine, maybe 10 years old at the time. When you wake up and you're in pitch black, what do you do? You wake up and you turn a light on. Well, in my case, I went to go turn on the TV. And out of the corner of my eye, through the window, I seen a man in the woods or coming out of the tree line onto the property. And I stopped and I froze. He must have saw me because he booted it right back to the tree line and hid behind a tree. For a second there, I didn't think like, hey, I really saw something. But then I seen him poke his head out and look at me. And, you know, me at nine years old, I'm thinking this is a man. You know, I'm not thinking yeah. this is strange. I'm just thinking that this is a man going for a walk in the woods. Instead of going to turn the TV off, I just went back to the couch, lay down, pulled the blankets over my head, and poked my little eyes out through a hole in the blanket and watched them. I was scared. Uh, I didn't really know what to do. Uh, at the time, I didn't really think that this could have been anything other than a man. And eventually, I watched as the man turned around and walked deeper into the tree line and disappeared. Those are my two experiences with something. Now I look back at it and at 32 years old, I see a prelude to the first experience I told you. I think that what this creature was or what this man was, was what I saw that day in the field. First of all, I want to say thank you for sharing your story with us. I do want to break down your story real quick. Okay. The first time you saw, let's just call it Sasquatch. I'm not going to ask you a bunch of details, but in comparison to where you were in this room through the window to where this tree line was, could you give me an approximate distance? If I had to say, it'd probably be about 40 feet. Oh, well, that's really close. I couldn't see its face because it was black. You know, it was dark out and it was dark inside. Uh, So all I was seeing was shadows, but I clearly saw a silhouette of a man in the woods for sure. Couldn't tell you how tall it was. Right, just a man uh, trespassing on property. <laughs> middle of the night, New England. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about, I mean, geez, that sounds so lucky that you stood up, you turn on that light, and it just happened to be walking by and it saw you. You know, I've thought about this since I've kind of got into the subject of Bigfoot, which... <sighs> I'm going to regress for a minute here, and I want to just talk about my point of view on Bigfoot when I had the second encounter. I didn't know anything about Bigfoot. I didn't know that this creature was even thought to exist. I didn't know anything about it. This wasn't something where I went into the woods and I was like, I'm going to find a Bigfoot. No, at 12 years old, I had no idea that Bigfoot even existed. It wasn't until I was about 14 or 15 years old when I stayed home from school one day and... I was watching either UFO Files or what's that other show? Oh, In Search Of, where they had played clips of the Patterson-Gimlin film. You know, that famous first Bigfoot ever captured on film. Um, Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, the creek bed of Bluff Creek out in California. Um, And they had used the term Bigfoot and Sasquatch to describe the creature who was... uh, not the subject of that particular episode, but they had referred to it. And instantly, it brought me right back to that field. I had this feeling that now I knew what I saw that day. 
But to return to your original question or your original statement about how lucky I was to see the creature, I have thought about this a lot since I found out what it could have possibly been. The only thing I can think of is that this was a case of perfect timing. Right place, right time, because it's dark outside, it's dark inside. So light priority or glare is minimal, right? There's no glare on the inside or the outside because it's dark on both inside and outside. Whatever it was could see me, I could see it. But if I had not noticed that it was walking out there and I had went to go click on the TV, now the glare would have been on the inside of the window and I wouldn't have been able to see out. And this thing would have been able to see me just fine. I probably wouldn't even lay down. I probably would have sat on the, the couch and watched some TV and this thing could have creeped on me for hours. Who knows what kind of courage this thing could have gained by just being able to watch me. Who knows? Maybe I would have had a, a much more interesting encounter with this thing if I had gone turn on the TV. So let's get to your second incident then. Yep. It's a couple of years later. You're in the field. You see this thing. Do you know for a fact that it was a Bigfoot? With what you know now, seeing the Patterson-Gimlin film having that connection, are you convinced it was a Bigfoot? Are you thinking it was something else? What are your thoughts on that? Do I think it was a Bigfoot? Yes. Do I know it was a Bigfoot? No. How I get to that answer is, let's think about creatures that exist and creatures that are thought to exist, or cryptological creatures as well, right? And there's four main suspects. There's a human. Could it have been a human? I don't think so, because this thing was covered head to toe with hair. Could it have been a bear walking on its hind legs? No, I don't think so. But... Uh, you'll notice that I sent you a video right before this recording of a bear walking on its hind legs. And we'll attach that to the Facebook page as well when we post this episode. Yeah, that was wild. I'll say, I'm pretty impressed with how well bears can walk on their hind legs. But there was one feature that was missing greatly from a bear walking on its hind legs, and that was the broad shoulders. This thing had massive shoulders. All in all, though, it wasn't very big. Like the deer, when it was sitting on its shoulders, was fairly large compared to what you would assume a Bigfoot would be. I don't know if it was uh, a younger Bigfoot, but the deer looked big. So it definitely wasn't as big as the traditional Bigfoot that you hear about in stories. It wasn't definitely wasn't a nine-footer or a ten-footer. <laughs> you know, something right. ridiculous like that. It was probably closer to six feet, if I had to put a number on it. Again, I was very young, and even that is probably way off. But up against the deer, it definitely didn't look that big. But it was covered head to toe in hair. So now that we kind of took humans and bears out of the equation, let's talk about the cryptid side of things. And basically, when you're talking about cryptids, you're talking about Bigfoot and Dogman. When I was watching the video of the bear, I saw that the bear had a distinct set of ears on top of its head. I don't remember quite if the creature that I saw had ears on top of its head. I couldn't tell you. That's an aspect of the creature's physique that I can't recall. But for some reason, those ears on top of the head of the bear really got me. But a dogman is known to have ears on top of its head. You know, canine ears. Was it a 
Dogman that I saw that day? Honestly, I don't know. Up until a couple months ago, I really didn't know too much about Dogman. I thought that Dogman was a regional cryptid, mostly in Wisconsin, Michigan area. But come to find out that the whole Dogman phenomena has taken over the world of cryptozoology. It is everywhere. Everywhere you look, every Reddit page, every Facebook page that you go to, Dogman is the main topic. Dogman is quickly becoming the new Bigfoot. So if people are reporting Dogman over and over and over again, just like Bigfoot, you have to think that there's something out there. Are they mistaken identities between the two species? You know, are, are people seeing Bigfoot and reporting them as Dogman? Are people seeing a Dogman and reporting them as Bigfoot? Is there a creature out there that's something in the middle of the two of them? One thing that a Dogman has uh, physical-wise is kneecaps that bend in opposite direction than ours because their bottom half is built like a dog. I wasn't able to see that on this creature because the grass was too high. The grass probably came up to about mid-thigh, so I, I really don't know. But just by how broad the shoulders were and the strength needed to be able to pick a deer up by its head in one hand and smash it up against a tree, I have to say that this was a Bigfoot. Or that's what I truly believe. I believe that this was a Bigfoot. So were you ever able to look into if that area was a hub of sightings? Do you remember what time of year it was? Why it could have been there? Anything you could give us without revealing anything? I can tell you with 100% certainty that it was late winter into the springtime. In fact, if I had to guess, it was probably during my spring break of that year. The reason why I pointed out the BFRO in the beginning of the episode was because I used that as a tool to find out if the area that I was in was a hotspot for Bigfoot sightings. It was easy to use. I just went in there, clicked on the state that I was in, including neighboring states and neighboring counties, and found out that the area that I was in is definitely a hotspot for Sasquatch sightings. Being springtime, I looked for sightings that happened in the spring, and I started noticing a pretty blatant pattern of sightings or footprints or stick structures being around blueberry batches. Now, I'm not a big blueberry fan. In fact, I don't like berries at all. So noticing blueberry bushes around where I was isn't something that I would do because I really didn't care about it. But blueberries come to that part of the country in the springtime. A lot of those reported sightings on the BFRO website happen in the springtime and they happen around blueberry patches. So I can say with 100% certainty that this happened in the springtime and that creature was probably there because it was migrating with the food, which was blueberries. Man, that's a wild story. Can't dispute a personal experience like that. Thank you again for sharing that with us. So I guess for you, then that means that Sasquatch is real. Sasquatch is real. I can hold my head up high and say, I believe in Bigfoot. I would like to believe. I'd like to have a, a story like that. Hopefully we can get you one, man. Really, it's just I'm going to have to see one. That's pretty much it. Or be out there in the wilderness and find a footprint. Find a tree rub that's way higher than 
me or any other animal could do besides a Sasquatch or hear some tree knocks or hear them screaming out into the woods. And I don't mean a wild cat screaming. I mean that deep, guttural yell. If I heard something like that or I saw a track or a sign, that would be enough for me to push me over the edge and be like, yep, this is real. But I want to see one so bad. That story that you just told us sounds very wild. It sounds almost traumatic at such a young age. And I appreciate you telling us that. Well, thanks, man. I knew I was going to get to it at some point on this podcast. And when we discussed the topic that we wanted to talk about today, I just thought it was the right time. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to us today on our first Black Hole episode. If you want to comment on this episode or you want to contact us, the outro is going to have all of our contact information. Yeah, everybody. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to comment on this episode, you can do so on facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole. If you have a story to share with us or would like to be interviewed, you can contact us at infinite rabbit hole at gmail.com. Thank you again and have a great day. <laughs>